Once I rose above the noise and confusion Just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion Welcome back to another episode of the Did You Know podcast. Today we're going to explore the invisible aspects of ataxia. John Morrow is here with me today, and as many of you know, John is my husband, and he has sporadic unknown ataxia and was diagnosed in 2008. So let's get talking with John. Hello, John. Hello. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing good. Let's begin by defining some of the invisible aspects of ataxia, and then we can go back and explore them in a little bit of detail. First, though, I want to put a disclaimer in here to say that these things may not be applicable to everyone. As we know, ataxia affects people differently depending on so many different factors. But my hope is that you'll be able to relate to this topic even if what you experience is not exactly the same as John. So John, what comes to mind when you think of the invisible aspects of ataxia? I think it's fatigue. Uh, not being able to keep my eyes open, that I felt like I'm going to fall asleep within any, any moment. Uh, the other is the more tired that I get, my gait, balance, and everything else uh, becomes a challenge. Um, there's different aspects of uh, holding a relationship and in um, dealing with with that and good communication, um, overstimulation, um, being outside, hearing cars, people talking, uh, people then talking to you, uh, you hear, it seems to be every sound around you going on is more you're concentrating on than actually the person speaking. I think you've witnessed that firsthand. Yeah, no, I have witnessed that firsthand. So let's let's delve a little bit into the fatigue. So when I think about fatigue, I think about being exhausted. Is that how you would describe this fatigue? And say a little bit more about how are you exhausted, if that's true. I, I get so tired, again, that uh, uh, I have a very difficult time holding my eyes open. Uh, when I get very uh, f- fatigue, it affects my speech, like um, now. Uh, it also uh, hinders the way that I eat and drink, um, because it takes seven muscles to coordinate a swallow. Um, so uh, when I eat, I have to concentrate just on eating, and there might be conversation around me, and sometimes I'm oblivious to what's going on. Yeah, and I think that you and I have had conversations about living by a clock because I think that, you know, if I, when I'm with you on like a Saturday, I notice that you you get up early in the morning, you do a couple of things, then you need to lay down. And then you wake up and you do a couple more things and you need to like rest again. And then you pretty much go to bed early. So it's almost like there's certain times you know, when the clock hits 10 o'clock, it's like, okay, this is my witching hour. I got to go take a nap or go lay down. Well, it's, it's very true. I, I think most people with ataxia, first of all, probably don't sleep well at night uh, due to either restless legs. Um, it just seems to be one of the biggest complaints that people say uh, not getting a good night's sleep. 
Um, yeah, so I mean, I would I would agree with you, and I'm not saying you know living by the clock as a as a way to make poke fun, but right. it's just but, an observation. And the morning seems to be uh, I seem to like to do lighter stuff because it seems I get I wake up I wake up tired, and it's only shortly after that that I feel like I need a nap, and yet I still woke up uh, after I have that nap. The afternoon is the better part of my day, and then that's when I will do more of the physical activities. Yeah. Like the day I came home and I saw a 12-foot ladder up against the tree and one of those, like, saws that you use to cut down branches. And I looked at you and I said, have you been in the tree? No, and I you're wasn't. like, no, not, not me. Not me. It was the tree guy. It was the tree guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are other caregivers that can relate to something like that. Um, but anyway, I just want to go back for one second to the speech. You were saying that, you know, um, the ty- more tired you get, the more your speech is impacted. And that is like one of the first things that I recognize. Um, and one of the things that I am able to distinguish that, yeah, he really needs to go lay down because I can't understand a word he's saying. Well, it's, and it's very true, and I also consider myself very lucky that my speech is really good compared to a good 50% of other people with ataxia. It affects their speech all the time. Right. And where me, it comes and goes due to that energy level, so... Um, yeah, no, I would agree with you. Your speech is very, very good considering. Um, some of the things that help a little bit at least for you uh, in conserving energy is using assistive devices can you say a little bit about that yeah um, uh, in the beginning I mean this is 10 years of navigating uh, uh, ataxia so in the beginning uh, maybe a cane was very hard for me to use I didn't want people to see me with a cane Uh, then it gets to the point where you have to do what's best for yourself. Um, by having a cane also identifies to people that are walking on a sidewalk, they might give you more room instead of thinking you weren't paying attention and stumbled upon them. Uh, I use a wheelchair when sometimes I'm traveling, I'll be in an airport, be by myself, uh, it helps me get around faster. And then when I need to walk, I have that extra energy to walk and to do things that I want to do. And I also have an electric scooter. So sometimes uh, I'm able to zip around and I think more people have seen me maybe at conferences or whatever, zip around corners and they call me speedy. But uh, you know what? I don't have to walk it. And when I get to where I'm going to get, I'm fine. Yeah, you are. You're good. And you you never knocked anybody over, so that's that's good, too. Well, so you know of. That I know of. That's right. Um, and I also think, like, getting a handicap placard. I think, you know, early on when you first get diagnosed with a taxi, it, it wasn't something that hit our radar to get a handicap placard. But we, you know, somebody recommended it, and we did it. And it was a good thing because you didn't need it all the time then, but you had it if you needed it right i use it when it gets cold soon as cold weather makes it very difficult for me to to walk uh in the nice weather i won't use the handicap packing because 
I need the exercise, and but yet I'm not having a difficult time walking. So again, you got to use it when needed, and don't be afraid to use it. Yeah, and don't be afraid to apply for it either. Um, I think that you know, with the fatigue, it can be challenging, but there are ways that you can work to make it a little bit easier on yourself and help yourself to conserve some energy. So let's. Let's go into a little bit about relationships. And, um, you know, you spoke a little bit about, you know, not being able to go to different social activities. And so you're, you can get withdrawn and, and especially from certain people, friends, different family members. Say a little bit about how having ataxia has affected some of your relationships, either with friends or family. Well, I, I really don't know how they've... Uh affected with friends or whatever I, I know personally with you or her, you know either one of the boys um, they we might have something to do at nighttime happens to be a day that I'm just having an off day but yet I feel guilty if I said that I didn't want to go but I want you to go uh, and many times if I didn't go you wouldn't go and so that put pressure on me until we finally got to the point where uh, you went out knowing that it makes me feel better, that I'm not holding you back. So, yeah, I'm not afraid to say, you know what, I need to sit this back. Right, and so it's good, and it goes back to that communication like we were talking about earlier. Um, emotionally, there's a whole gamut of emotions that you go through when you first find out that you have ataxia. Say a little bit about that. Um, I think it's an ongoing struggle because I've had ataxia for 10 years and let's just say I've had nothing wrong with me for 40 years. So I had 40 years of how I did things and all of a sudden I've gotten the, uh, the ataxia and now it seems like it's like a young child trying to learn how to do things all over again a different way. And... Uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, and I think some days are worse than others. And, you know, like anything else, you know, we talk about people, everybody has something and, and everybody deals with a challenge. But, you know, I think that when you first hear that you have ataxia, it's scary. And then it you get angry and then you might get depressed. And so you run a gamut of all these different emotions. It's like an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. I know you were going to say living with me is like uh, <laughs> is living an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> you're you're tired. That's why you're you're not saying too much right now. Well, this is take number 3. Oh god. Well, you know what? Um let's talk about overstimulation a little bit. You mentioned that. Um so overstimulation to me is being Outside in public, maybe um, inside of a building with uh, quite a bit of people, I hear you know all conversations going on. I hear the clock ticking. I hear glasses banging, uh, and then I have somebody speaking to me at the same time. So I'm only partly hearing them because those other sounds are distracting me. So. I find that I miss a lot of conversations, or maybe I answer something, and I can tell by the person's face that 
That really wasn't what they asked me, but that's what I thought they did. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've evolved over the 10 years, but um, I think conversations can sometimes be challenging. Um, You know, not being able to multitask, not being able to hold things, you know, in your head for long periods. When you have a conversation, you and I, I have to allow you to get your complete thought out. I can't interrupt you or, you know, the conversation doesn't ebb and flow the way that it does when I'm talking, say, to a girlfriend. And so I know over the years it's been frustrating for me and I'm sure for you because we had to change the way that we communicated with each other. Well, I still think you're kind of working on that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a it's an evolution. It's a work in progress. I would agree. Yeah, because sometimes you really rise at me, and I'm like, you remember, I can't do multiple things at one time. Well, I know, but one of the other changes that has happened, and I don't know if others can relate to this, but um, your inward focus on keeping track of a thought makes you have a certain facial expression. And I interpret that to be, you know, you're giving me a dirty look or, you ha- or you're or you questioning what I'm saying. And it's really not that at all. You're just trying to figure something out internally. Yeah, correct. I, I seem not to look somebody in the eye because um, my mind is watching your mouth move, watching your eyes move, and yet I'm not paying attention to the words. So I kind of look off to the side, kind of stare at an object, and I'm trying to listen to every word. And that's kind of how I focus on a conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just been a learning experience, at least for me, to realize that I can't... I'm not ignoring you? Well, not even that. Like, that you're not... Like, to not misread your visual clues that you're you know the visual prompts you're giving me yeah correct yeah um i know one of the other things that you and i have always talked about is finding ways to quantify how you're spending your energy right because there may be times where you're like god i'm really tired but i don't think i did anything today and we got your fitbit and we started to see that geez you were walking a lot of steps or you weren't really sleeping well because the Fitbit we got you had the sleep thing on it. So it was a way for us to quantify how you were spending your energy or even like we would write things down in a journal. So I think that we found that to be helpful. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think it all helps you to understand where your best parts of the day are, where you're having a challenge and I think it's also a great record to keep to when you go to the doctors. Uh, You can compile that data, and when you're saying you're not sleeping well, uh, you've got some backup behind it. Yeah, like backup data, yeah. And it makes it look like when you look at the readings that you're not nuts, you're not really sleeping. That's why you're tired. Yeah, no, I think it validates a lot for you. So I think that would be a recommendation I would have for anyone that's new to this or that's really struggling with the fatigue aspect and doesn't understand why they're so tired to maybe keep a journal for a week just to see where where are you spending your energy? Where is it going? Well, I, I agree. I, I think the journal should be longer than a week, though. Um, I think you really need to write all these little things that bother you or having a little bit of problems and write how often and then 
when you see a neurologist maybe every three months or six months whatever it is you can kind of see where all those repeats are and then focus on those issues going into your appointment yeah it's like looking for trends and it's an easy way to capture those trends right a doctor just can't figure it all out so you got to be your own advocate and try to figure out some of it yeah and i think it's eye-opening too like just even for your own information because you know it's the same thing like with if you're going to go on a diet and you say you know i really don't eat that much and then you start recording everything you eat and you go hmm no wonder i've gained five pounds look at all this all the snacking i've done so it's it does make a difference um writing something down rather than having to recall it so it's really a good good um, piece of advice for people that might just be struggling with this or new to this i agree i use my phone quite a bit make make all kinds of notes uh, somebody read them they probably wouldn't understand them but i kind of do but it's a way for me to hold that information without forgetting yeah i i think it's really a good idea so i think just you know in summary i would say that there are a lot of things or aspects of ataxia that are invisible and they can definitely impact your relationships with other people they can impact you know how you do things and uh, and how you feel about certain things um and i i guess it's just becoming aware of those things and talking to others about those things you know one of the reasons we love the annual conferences so much is that we get to connect with you know friends that also have a tax here and we can learn that they're experiencing some of the same things it's not that you're in a vacuum on this oh i agree and same with me that i'm finding out that i don't have the only spouse that has a thousand and one questions that's right you see because you know i'm very curious i have to always find out what's going on so yeah so anything else that you want to contribute to this conversation before we wrap up anything that you want to say about this um, invisible aspect about ataxia Um, i would think the one thing that stuck out in my mind over 10 years that i met somebody and said uh, you know you have ataxia you can have other things going on that don't always blame it for ataxia and don't let your neurologist always say that it's part of the ataxia because you can have the flu, a toothache, an infection, and yet it well wasn't caused by the toothache. You know, there can be multiple things going on and you know yourself better than anybody. So I think you need to push and be your own advocate. Yeah, and we have a great example of that because early on when you were first diagnosed with ataxia used to complain about being tired all the time and oh i'm really tired i'm really tired and what we learned was that your fatigue was not only due to ataxia but you also have mitochondrial disease and had we not gone on that gut feeling that there was something else to this fatigue that there was something else going on we probably would have never had you tested and found out that you had mitochondrial disease Oh, and it's very true. Um, you know, when they finally did the test, they wanted to know how I was even surviving because my body makes very little uh, energy. And then come to find out, 
there's a good percentage of people with ataxia that are suffering from the same thing. Um, the uh, deficit of mitochondrial or the transport chain or one of those, but uh, and that can be a big part of the ataxia because a lot of times there's other things that are causing you to have the symptoms of ataxia. Yeah, that that is true. Ataxia can be a symptom outside of the disease. So yeah, that's a very true statement. So yeah, I think in parting, we should just really say, you know, if you're experiencing some of these things, communication is key. Let your loved ones know what's going on and how you're feeling about certain things and what you are experiencing. That's really important. And then another thing we'd like to say and leave you with is, you know, not everything that is going on with you is always a result of the ataxia. It could be other things and to just go on your gut instinct and kind of look into some of those things. I agree. Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it was informative for you and we look forward to talking to you next time. Everybody have a great rest of your day. Once I rose above the noise and confusion just to get a glimpse beyond this love.